This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, you're hearing from Michelle Boland of Michelle Boland Training. I was honored to have Michelle on as she is someone that I turn to often for my own personal continuing education. You're gonna get a ton of good advice and takeaways today. We get into the three exercises you need to be doing, the type of training that you might be doing that you should probably rethink, and Michelle's experience as a female in this fitness industry. We get into all that and a lot more. You're gonna enjoy every bit of this one. Listen in. All right, Michelle, thank you for being on today. Thanks for having me, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. To kick off today, if you want, just tell everyone a little bit about you know who you are, where you came from, and uh, what you do. Yeah, of course. My name is Michelle Bolin. I am currently the owner of my own company, Michelle Bolin Training, which I'm sure I lacked a little creativity was coming up with that. <laughs> <laughs> everyone always asks me like what training means, and like when you're in the industry, it's like it, that's very clear. And I'm like, oh yeah. That wasn't very clear, was it? <laughs> so I do in-person training right now. I do online programming for remote clients. So basically I work with people like all over the world with their fitness goals. And I also, which I'm very passionate about, is providing educational resources for other trainers. So having conversations with them, working on growing and developing you know, their business, their message, having a voice in the industry. I previously was a director of education at a private facility. And then before that, I had over five years experience as a division one collegiate coach, which was an absolutely amazing experience. I love that. So that's kind of where I've come from. And then all before that, you know, I was in grad school and, you know, they eventually reached the end of the line with that and uh, had to move on. <laughs> they force us out after a while, don't they? They don't let yeah, us stay. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> when you just like being a student and the lifestyle, man, I could stay in school forever, you know? I did often joke. I'm like, can I just keep deferring loans and just keep adding <laughs> adding programs in? But Yeah, that's the trick, right? It's like eventually yeah. you just run out of money to support yourself through that. Yeah. Yeah. They catch on to you really fast on that. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. You mentioned a few things I want to dive into today, but the, the education for trainers, I think is where I want to start. So, you know, most of my listeners are our general population, adults, young athletes. What wasn't working maybe in our field that you thought you could make better? So what is maybe what's your niche? What do you speak to trainers about the most? Oh, that's a great question. So I think it has to go back into, you know, my interest of learning. So I was in the academic institutions for a while as a grad student and then as a professor. And, you know, I was able to kind of dissect or discern what professors do really well and maybe what professors like lack doing in terms of teaching learning skills to kids and not just teaching information. It's like, how are you going about helping this person navigate through all of these subjects matters, making sense of it, determining how they can utilize it and apply it within certain settings. And I think the academic system in some ways really fails at that. And then I was able to be the internship coordinator at the collegiate level to you know, young trainers or grad students coming in wanting some experience. And again, it goes back to you know, how can I best, you know, my role as a teacher, how can I do better at that? And how can I get better outcomes for these individuals? So I was really able to kind of take some time and think on, you know, how to learn better or go out and seek information that taught me to be able to do that. Because I think there's a huge difference or 
a bridge or a gap in this industry of being able to acquire information because it's so easy nowadays to get information anywhere. The hard part is like, well, what do you do with that information and how do you choose the best sources of that information? And that to me is a skill that needs to be developed. So I really want to get trainers to kind of stop acquiring information and consolidate it and formulate it into something that they can actually put into action. And that's what I kind of really try to teach people. And I think it's effective in, especially in the world of now, there's so many courses that you have access to. So, so many weekend certifications, you know, people just get lost in a lot of like paralysis by analysis or Mm -hmm. just being like, or dogma, like falling into one system and just being like a, you know, quote unquote, like SMS person or something like that, which is, you know, it is what it is, but, you know, getting people to think for themselves a little bit. Yeah. And we become almost collectors of certificates sometimes, but you're right. It's one or the other extreme because either we become that side or you become so typecast into one passion point that you miss out on the rest. And just like a lot, just like any industry, I guess, right? We have the more well-rounded we are without going too far outside the spectrum, the probably better we're going to be. I love the connection between professors and what we do, because I had the same issues in, in undergrad and grad school where you have these professors that were so intelligent, but couldn't translate it. Yes. The knowledge was there, but didn't come. So what can trainers do better with their clients? Um, you know, I saw the one post you had and you're right. People, trainers like to sound smart. You know, and we'd like to use acronyms. We like to show our education, which is great. I love that we're passionate about showing it, but it's lost sometimes in the client. How can we do better at that? Yeah. So I would say connecting it to whatever is important to them. And that's removing it being important to you. And that's a huge separation, right? And that's why people, you know, give three letter acronym systems credit for their decisions. But like, no, not one person that you work with is going to know what you're talking about, right? They just want to get maybe better at their golf swing. So like tell them how or what you're doing is making them better at, at their golf swing. And that's really like the language that you should be using. Like you want to speak on the level of understanding of your listener and not your peers or colleagues. Yeah, because we want them to understand. Yes. Right? It's, a, it's been a big philosophy of mine is the better my clients and athletes understand why I'm doing things, the more adherence I tend to get. So I don't want them in the dark, but I also don't want to speak over them. So it's, yeah, there's a common middle ground, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for trainers and that's why people in the fitness industry are so passionate about what they do yeah. because they want depth of knowledge and they seek that out. But at some level that should just be for yourself and, and kind of clarifying the methods that you choose but as soon as we start kind of going into depth with the people that we work with, that can all probably do the opposite effect. Yeah. Well, and just like you, you mentioned that things are so, and for a general population or trainers, information is so easy to get. But, and I forget where I got this quote from, and maybe you'll know, there's, you know, we don't have an information problem. We have a filtration problem. Definitely. We don't tend to filter information. And for the average person, it's, it's Googling training methods and what, and what worked for their neighbor or what worked for some random person they don't know. For trainers, we probably need to do a better job of, even though we take full certifications, filtering out the usable pieces that make sense for who we're working with. Oh, absolutely. And being able to, you know, develop a message that like clearly explains that because we use a lot of words that we take for granted. Like, can you clearly define certain things for people and just tell people what you do without getting them lost or being able to connect like what you're going to do for them? What's the transformation that you want? Yeah. Oh, I'm smiling too, because uh, there's, there's always the words that, ev- that you start using because you like it and you realize everyone's using it and then everyone beats the words to death and then you hate using the word again. Yeah. Like, what are we <laughs> actually talking about here? <laughs> right. Um, you know, the originally it was core, right? Core was a big word and then that stopped. And then there's uh, fun- that functional came in and then everyone hates, hates the word functional. So it's... <laughs> We're going up and down here. That's that's the problem. It is. I just think it's it's very funny to watch the uh, when when you're writing next, you should do a whole thing on that of just the evolution of words in the fitness industry. I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned your uh, your degree in your coaching. Uh, I'm assuming your degree was exercise, maybe exercise science related. I'm assuming. 
Yeah, so I originally got a bachelor's in nutrition and then, you know, okay. you, you need both ends of the spectrum. You need to like know what you want to do and then what you don't want to do. Yeah. And so I started working for a dietitian after and I was like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> and then I got into fitness. So I have, uh, I went to strength and conditioning and then I stayed for a degree in exercise physiology. Very cool. Yeah, I did the same thing with physical therapy. I'm like, this is definitely it for me. Two classes later, I'm like, this is definitely not it for me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm out. I love, I love the field that just wasn't, wasn't for me. Fair enough. And then you were coaching. What did you coach? So I worked in grad school as a, like a personal trainer at a local private facility. And then okay. I went to the collegiate setting and I worked with the women's ice hockey team and men's ice hockey team with my primary sports. Very and then cool. my secondary were like rowing and field hockey. Very cool. And, did, and were those the sports you played as well? No, it's, it's, it's funny because I had a conversation with someone the other day of like yeah. people, I, you know, general notion of like you can't teach something that you haven't done. And I remember so many of the hockey parents not like giving me attitude, but just like were very curious on like how I knew anything about like strength conditioning towards ice hockey when I played collegiate soccer. And it's like, there's like fixed principles in movement, yes. you know, that carry over everything. And, you know, having an education, you should be able to apply those in different realms. And it's just, it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, I, I played, I played everything except for yeah. soccer. I pretty much, and it was everything except for soccer and hockey. Well, I started right. working for a company that was working with all Chicagoland teams, the bears, the white Sox, the, the fire, everybody. So I get in, I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm like, odds are I'll end up in a sport. I played soccer was the first opportunity that came and I was like, it's the only one I've never, no, I've never touched a soccer ball in my life. It's the only sport I didn't play. <laughs> but you're right though, you don't necessarily, it, it does prove you don't necessarily have to play to understand movement and movement principles mm -hmm. in sport. And maybe that comes from like a lack of education, like the public of, of what we do in the fitness industry and how much you know, education or use we have in terms of like outsourcing those services to us. We don't yeah. have to have a niche though it is it makes us successful in business terms sometimes yeah yeah absolutely it does sure and and the letters are nice and the truth is it, they sell right people people have a faith and a trust when they see that you went that you went to graduate school they're just yeah. in a certain like relief that comes to clients when they walk in the door does that mean that uh, my business partner does not have a degree and he's one of the most brilliant fitness minds i know yes. you know so the assumptions there it does earn us something but it's not necessarily always Always. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Let's, so let's move off of the trainers and into more of your clients now. So you're working with a lot of virtual and in-person clients. I want to talk to people about where they're starting, why it's important. So you, you had a post about, you know, it's not, you know, it's where you're going is important, but where you start is of equal importance, right? How do you assess people? What do you look for in the first time you're meeting a client? That's a great question. So, you know, everyone goes through this journey of like switching up what they do or grabbing on to something that they've learned and implementing it. But I've really narrowed it down and just completely gotten rid of a lot of the assessment things that I do. I have my air quotes up. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've turned, you know, my first session, I call it an orientation session. And, and a lot of that has come with uh, some conversations I had with um, Todd Baumgartner um, mm -hmm. of, strength action and you know sometimes i was i was testing range of motion at joints and i feel like it really ruined the expectation or didn't fulfill the expectation of that person coming into a gym setting and thinking that they were there for fitness and i was looking at you know if they could internally rotate at their shoulder and i also believe that my coaching eye can identify that when they're yeah. performing an overhead movement so you know what we went to an orientation session and I just kind of put them through, you know, different movements. I want to see them squat and we figure out kind of like the best way to squat for them that makes them most successful. And I'm like, oh, okay, now I know this information moving forward. And then the biggest thing probably is not an assessment, but more of can I generate a relationship quickly? Can I have a conversation with them? Can I ask them a ton of questions? And I am just so blessed that the gym I rent space from 
are just amazing and all the trainers will come over and introduce themselves and make them feel welcomed. And that's just like, that's fantastic right there. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of like what I do when I first meet someone and establishing where they currently are is just teaching them through different types of movements. And when I have someone who has like a lot of experience in the gym, that process becomes very quick. And maybe I start introducing like challenges towards fitness and seeing how they respond. Do they respond well to a challenge or do they not respond very good to a challenge? So then I can like kind of mix with that depending on like their fitness level. Yeah, that makes sense. We call it a uh, strategy session. Awesome. I yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, I love that word. Uh, and I, yeah, I do. And I also didn't invent it. So I, I took it from someone <laughs> else. So please feel free to use it also. <laughs> but for the same reason, right? People get a little turned off by being assessed, but we, but we do need to do that. It's just not, not in the same way. And I completely agree. In the first handful of sessions, I'm going to learn more than I could have seen in that one snapshot movement probably anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we, we've definitely gone to more of a conversation piece, more of a relationship building piece. And I want to ask a million questions, but I also want that person to ask a million questions because their yes. questions tell me so much about where their mindset is, what their current knowledge of fitness is, or maybe where their stereotypes are and what battles I might have with that. Not battles, but challenges with, with that. And, and, you know, I'm even kind of nervous for like the first session with someone because I always try to get people on the phone and have conversations with them before they come in. But yeah. I don't know truly like, what their expectations are. So like... yes how to talk to them, you know? And like you said, asking a lot of questions up front is very, very helpful. And then also, yeah. you know, what their expectations of, of, you know, some people want to come in and they, if they don't, you know, sweat or feel like they worked hard, they're probably not going to come back, right? Yeah. And, and there's other people, if you push them that hard because of their current level of where they're starting, then that also can be a huge detriment where, you know, they wake up in the morning and they're, they're sore than they've ever experienced before we're expecting. And then it's like, okay, you might not ever see them again, you know? Yeah. So you really got to play with it that first session. Yeah. And it takes an eye. It takes a coach. Like you said, coach's eye. It takes a long time for eventually you see someone walk in the door, right? You're just like, I get it. Like, <laughs> I, I see, I see something right away, but I, you know, I've always joked. I have a, I have a trainer that I'm kind of grooming to take over some of this assessment type role, or at least join me in it. But um, I've always loved, I love the first day almost more than I love the rest of the process. There's something about the psychology piece of it, of, of learning someone new, finding where they're at, like that, that information gathering piece that I've always loved. I think it's such a fun part of, of what we do. Oh, absolutely. I think since I've moved over, well, I should say when I was in the collegiate setting, my favorite part was interacting with the athletes. Like they were, especially you're dealing with like 18 to 22 year olds, like <laughs> hilarious and you learn things that you were just mind blown of <laughs> yeah but in the private setting you know your personality is a huge huge component of your business so if mm-hmm. you can't develop relationships with people that's probably the thing you need to work on the most yeah and athletes to a certain extent all want to be there yeah, there, yeah there's a the different part, for sure. you have to motivate them of course but there's a different type of motivation with athletes mm-hmm. For, for usually, not always, but um, the general population is tough in that those first couple of weeks, that first month is really important for retention because that's, mm-hmm. that's where you, get, you, you'll, you gain them or lose them, not necessarily just in the first day, but in the first month. So you, you form this more of an orientation process. You ask more questions on day one. Obviously, you still have a, a movement plan for the mm-hmm. first full workout. Are there key movements you tend to look at? So here I... I always explain that the first day is kind of like a, an ongoing assessment. I'm going to see you move more. I'm going to see endurance levels. But I also want to see things like how they move, so exercises that look more at gait. So what are things that, um, that you look for or, or put into a typical day one program, assuming that injuries aren't a big part of the process? Yeah. Different types of squats, probably. Okay. Split squats is probably the thing I look at the most because I think it tells me a lot of information about you know being able to change levels vertically, you know, with a split stance. I think that's kind of like a big hitter for me. An aerobic challenge. I know you kind of like alluded Mm -hmm. towards like movement, but aerobic challenge to me gives me like a lot of information about what we are capable of doing moving Mm -hmm. forward. And, you know, especially you talked about like the first month of working with someone. We were having a conversation with my client last week about, 
you know, different personality types and balancing expectations because, you know, we were together as like a client maybe four months now. And he was talking to me about like putting graphs together about like our, our whole so focus is like doing more work over time. So like more reps or more sets or doing more work in a given amount of time or doing a given amount of work in a less time. And we, we like track this. And he is kind of has a tendency over time uh, or working with other people where he'll go hard for a few months and then just drop down and like take a month off yeah. or, you know, get back into it maybe for a few more weeks and then take like two months off or something like that. So, you know, balancing, I, it's like balancing expectations, but also like explaining your values onto someone because, you know, general population associate like the gym with like strength, like loading types of activities. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to him about like shifting his kind of value system towards like consistency over time. Can like the first goal you do is have 52 weeks of consistent training. And that to me is like, you know, can you do that? Can you make the people you work with value or think things are important the same way, same way you do effectively. In terms of like going back to movements, I mean, I just do all types of activities. I do single arm pulls, pull downs, different types of squats. It depends on the person if I want to see them hinge on their first session. Sometimes I'll wait for like two sessions after uh, because that could be, sometimes I find that to be like a longer teaching kind of mm -hmm. session for some people. So I kind of hold off on that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do first session. And it could be frustrating too if someone's, hey, if someone's having trouble with it, you run into that person where you may not, don't want the, that to be your, uh, your day one experience sometimes. Yeah, and, and if that's happening, that's such a good point of like, yeah. it's you starting to work with someone, you want them to succeed as quick as possible or yes. kind of acknowledge their success. So, you know, if you're teaching someone how to hip hinge and they're just not getting it, I would say just like move on and be yeah. like, that was awesome. You did such a great job today. We'll go back to that next time as well and yeah. just make it feel like a success. Yeah, see, I love that. Yeah, get, get some wins in the books from the mm -hmm. start low-hanging fruit uh, on day one when we're going through nutrition stuff and stress and sleep stuff what's something that i know that is going to be a slam dunk what can i know they can nail it's more than achievable just to get the ball rolling so i i, I love that you know i in our email we talked a little bit about kind of mainstay exercises so we're going to do a little uh i don't we don't like the terms good and bad in our industry but i'm gonna use them anyway because they're relatable so three exercises that you think everyone needs to if, if they're a lay person not working with someone like you or I, what are three things that people need to have um, and why? That is a good question. Um, I love how you brought up not good or bad. Yeah. I always say <laughs> it's not good or bad. It's just different. That's yeah. hilarious. Yes. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I give like different answers than other people. I was kind of think about that. But I would You're say. You're the first one. You're the first oh, one. So okay. you, you get to be the trendsetter here. All right. Extra special. I'll go back to Kyle and ask him again later. So you Perfect. go first. <laughs> yeah, I'd be curious. Push-ups okay. and, and ground crawling variations. So like oh. inchworms and like bear crawls. Because like, can you show me that you can support your body weight and probably yeah. the one of the most difficult positions, the prone position where you know, gravity is taking basically everything in your insides downward. You know, that's a very actually hard position to maintain. And can you move through that and you know, move around supporting your body weight? That says a lot to me about like your quote unquote, like strength and fitness level. Yeah. And then I would say skipping is the other one. Oh, I like it. I just think, you know, if you can skip, that shows me that you have some sort of coordination abilities yes. and i think it translates to an immense amount of other activities you know running obviously that's kind of the easy one jumping though and then maybe even you know the ability to move with with speed or, you know relative yeah. power can you produce it and can you hit the ground and you know come off of it and i think those three things show me a lot about the person and Hopefully, people can um, be able to do those three things. 
Yeah, I love it. So before we go to the bad one, I knew I was going to like you because crawling. Crawling, <laughs> my, my business partner makes fun of me because there's I do a lot. First day is a crawling movement. I want to see crawling. It, it shows a lot about coordination too, right? Can I start managing my spine? Can I manage my upper and lower body? So I love crawling stuff. But let's go back into the skipping for a second. I have a, you know, power with age. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that as people age and we naturally decline because we stop doing it, right? We stop playing. We stop running. We stop jumping. Yes. Why, even for the the oldest client you've ever had, why is power output through the lower body, things like skipping, things like being able to jump and laterally move quickly, why is it so important? And how do you translate that to your client? Oh, man, I could split that up into two different ways. The first one I want to go down is, you know, the typical, like, like what you mentioned, you know, power is one of the first things you lose as age. So I think that is just, you know, a body weight activity of hitting the ground and returning back up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just showing your ability to, you know, stand up like quickly or, you know, run for a brief amount of time if you're chasing your grandkids or something like that. But the other and most important part, like besides like the physiology or like force production aspects of it, to me, the most important thing is overcoming fear of like, my oldest, well, I should say oldest, <laughs> highest in age clients, I think they have a lot of fear associated with certain movements yeah. and they don't quite understand things that they're capable of doing. And they put a lot of limitations on themselves. So if I can get an older client to, you know, I have one client that was deathly scared of, of skipping. So we started just marching for a long time and then we did get into light skipping and now it's like an enjoyment activity, you yep. know, of like, Oh, she's like, Oh, we're going to skip today. This is fantastic. You know, it's, it's, she understands like now she can, she has no fear associated with that. And there's sort of like a safety and enjoyment factor with it. And I think to me, that's probably the most important of that training component when I deal with like the older general population clients. Yeah. Well, and there's a, uh, there's an irony to that too, because and I, and I have this, uh, I have a Pat Davidson type of an, of the situation he brought up, but there's there's a safety to being able to move properly still or powerfully still. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I think his analogy was, you know, if, if the car is coming at you quick, you're gonna want to hope you still have the power to get out of the way. Like you have to be able to move quickly. Yeah. So I just think it's ironic that we need this power output for safety and to to avoid possible injury later. Yet we avoid the activity because we're afraid of getting hurt. 100 percent it's like a vicious cycle but also people associate like speed and power with like sprinting which yes i think you still should try to maintain or get to that goal but also like i don't know a kettlebell jump squat or something like that like but even just standing up fast from a chair for some people is a very high power output yeah what's bad and holding your grandchildren while you're doing it or you know whatever (laughs) whatever it might be people associate it with athletics that running and jumping is, is for athletes. And while they do that, you know, it's, if for, for me, it's, it's more of a, of a, that's functional. If I'm going to use the, the word that I always am annoyed by that's functional it. to me is being able to utilize these aspects outside of the gym. Definitely. Yeah. So the three that people are overdoing that you wouldn't mind seeing less of, they're not bad. You just okay. wouldn't mind you, that you wouldn't mind seeing less of them. I like this question a lot. I actually, Greatly thought about it. So I think what I would say for this is turning activities of a sport into fitness activities. So, okay, I'm going to, you know, the core foundation of strength and conditioning field has really come from the ground roots of powerlifting, bodybuilding, and Olympic weightlifting. To me, I view those through a lens of those are sports. And like, we're basically creating like a recreational sports through fitness. It's the same thing to me of like people looking at NFL football and then playing flag football uh, recreationally. People look at powerlifting and like they teach their general fitness client to like huge arch through the back as they squat bench press like a powerlifter. But it's like, that's a sport. That's a technique and a strategy to accomplish a specific like rule or standard within a competition. Like that's what sport is. And when you go and do that to a general population client, I think 
to me, that is, you know, a bad exercise, air quotes, people, it, or something that like we should just get rid of, you know, train power lifters the way that they need to be trained in their sport. Same thing for Olympic weightlifting. There's this huge thing in the collegiate setting of like, if your athletes aren't Olympic lifting, they're not training. And it's just, you know, the demands of their sport most likely do not require that at all. And you're probably not teaching it well enough or it's really not worth the risk associated with it as Olympic weightlifting as a sport. And I think that's why, I mean, not to like change the boat or anything like that, but I think that's why CrossFit gets a really bad rap. Mm -hmm. It's because people don't view it through the lens of it's a sport. Yes. And the people who compete in CrossFit are elite athletes. Yes. And you need to view it as a sport. And the people who, you know, are doing it recreationally, it's a different game. And it's like, you know, people get hurt playing flag football all the time. People get hurt, you know, recreationally doing Olympic weightlifting. Why are you hating on a sport? (laughs) So I think it's just like, yeah, it's like if I say like two specific activities or three specific activities, like squatting, benching like a power lifter and Olympic weightlifting for sport development or general population clients. I love it. I'm that guy and I agree. And, And CrossFit does get such a bad name. But I agree, it's for the wrong, because you're using it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I'm the first one to watch the CrossFit Games every summer. Those oh athletes are so fun to watch. I could watch Matt Fraser do anything all day. The guy's just, sure. he's a phenom. But you're right, but I don't want my mom going to the nearest CrossFit gym because she's, cause she wants to gain some strength and increase her bone density. Like there's just, there's a, and it's a disconnect there. Yeah, it's, it's basically like, you know. <laughs> I try not to place too much like emotional value in anything that doesn't have to do with me, but it's just like, you have to look at those things as like competition. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and for some people that want to make it a competition, then go do it. Just like, like you said, just like you would go play pickup basketball games. And like, we're not saying don't do it if you enjoy it. Let's not make it your primary fitness tool. Yeah, but right, the thing a big difference, right? they do better than anyone else at, like if you go play recreation flag football, most likely you're doing it because it's fun to you, right? Right. So, you know, I've rent space from a CrossFit facility and what they do best is everyone's having a blast. And yes. like, what's wrong with like people having fun while like performing physical activity? It's, it's just phenomenal to watch what they do in terms yep. of like bringing large groups of people together in enjoying movement and fitness. It's, it's insane. Yeah, and it's in a, a group environment. People love a group environment. And they do that better than anybody. Them and now some of the, you know, the emerging, you know, the the shreds and the Barry's boot camp and the, those entities, that's what they do really well is they mm-hmm. bring people in and, and want to keep coming back because of the environment that they bring. Yeah, and like those are lessons you can take away as a personal trainer. You know, you're getting the people who don't really want that group experience, but like how can you basically create it with two people? It's like become their like friend as quickly as possible and, and not yeah. in a disingenuous way, like a very genuine way and make them like enjoy the experience of fitness. Yeah. And there's, and I'm sure you see the same thing in every gym I've worked at, even though I've been primarily a one-on-one coach, having 15 other trainers in the room, training their clients, there's still an environment there. Like you're mine, you're a one-on-one coach. Like you're only looking at me, but I know that other people are working hard around me. There's still a really cool environment thing that happens with, with the gym. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's use that as a transition point, the at the gym part, because you did a lot for your clients, it looks like, during when the pandemic started. And uh, unfortunately, we are still in a situation where a lot of people, I'm still having phone calls of people that say, I'm just not comfortable yet. I want to, I still want to stay home. And that's fine. I want people to do what they, what they're comfortable doing. But for the people that are at home and without a coach, my first answer is obviously find a coach if you can. But let's just use the hypothetical if they can't. What were you telling people to focus on when they were at home? You know, that's such a great question because, you know, I had a few clients who had full gyms at their house and like really nothing really changed besides me being on a computer <laughs> and um, yeah. not being there. But then other people, I had one lady who I highly respect. Um, she's I think like 58, 59. And you know, she's like, I know I need to move 
And if, if I avoid moving, like I'm going to go downhill that I might not be able to get back up from. And she didn't have even a single dumbbell. And so I think the notion of what do you have around the house and how can we use that to kind of set ourselves up for, you know, equipment needs. Cause everyone thinks they need dumbbells or they need like a bench to do something. It's like, okay, we got a chair. We got a backpack full of books as like a loading strategy. We have, uh, I think she used like a heavy, yeah, <laughs> like a, I think a pillow to throw to do like slams. It's yeah. like, it wasn't heavy, but it, you know, light as a feather but she can still <laughs> produce power and like effort yeah. through it awesome. and i think that would probably be my biggest like advice it's like what do you have around you that you can make the most of and and still kind of be creative with you know either body weight activities and i think you know the the reps went up and we had a lot more of an aerobic focus through it uh, and then when she did she did return to the gym because her aerobic fitness was able to be maintained or even like improved during that time, you know, she didn't feel like she had dropped off as much. I mean, of course, like the loads that she was able to maintain at first were difficult, of course, but her aerobic system was still there. And I think that's the biggest thing that you should focus on like saving. Yeah. That's great advice. So focusing mostly on the aerobic system for a couple of reasons. One, you probably don't have the tools to focus on a high strength system. But yes. two, because there's the importance level of how much we also lose that the fastest, don't we? Right, oh, our endurance yeah. systems, yeah. Yes, but it also can support other systems the most. Right. Right. Yes. So, you know, if you maintain your aerobic system, you come back to the gym, you're not going to be as winded as you thought. You're going to be able to do more than you anticipated, which is going to be great. Yeah, you'll still be able to establish force, which means you'll still be able to get back to weightlifting Definitely. immediately upon your return. Yeah, I I love love that answer. And what were the challenges some of your clients faced outside of the exercise part? So obviously habits change, right? Nutrition had to change. Not didn't have to change, but it did. People weren't eating out as much. People started ordering more groceries. Sleep patterns changed. Habits changed. So what was the biggest challenge you saw uprising amongst those categories with your clients? That's a really good question. I would say other avenues of activity. So, you know, I had one client who would come to me two days a week and then she would actually do a boxing class two days a week, which I highly encourage. It's absolutely phenomenal. But she stopped going to that, obviously, because it's like a group setting. And, you know, stopped going, you know, walking every day. And I was, you know, I tried to really highly encourage to go outside and get a walk-in, you know, every day. And then maybe falling out of your routines is kind of the other thing. And like loneliness, I think, um, you know, it, you only can get so much from, from a screen. And then there's different types of personalities, right? Like I'm a very introverted person. So it emotionally, I don't think it impacted me as much because I actually, in, I get a lot of energy from being alone where it actually spends a lot of energy for yeah. me to be around people, but people who, <laughs> So I think I you know, <laughs> saved myself on that one. <laughs> but like people who are the opposite way, um, that it probably was way more difficult for them because yeah. they get energy from being around other people. So that was probably the, the few of the biggest things I saw. And they're demotivators. Those things are big because those are hormonal. Those are physiologic demotivators too, right? It's not just, you know, people picture... You know, the body is kind of like, especially when it comes to like emotion and stress is like this like cloud around the head, but it's very much so hormonal, right? It's very much so a physical response. So when that physical response comes in, we don't exercise as well. We don't want to exercise as well. You know, there's a lot of things that take place, right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things like you do best, like you're introducing people with like different realms of health. And I think a lot of people saw like how psychology, you mm-hmm. know, emotions can really affect like the physical aspect. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm an introvert myself by that nature. So it's funny because I always called myself an extrovert and I might've had this conversation on a podcast already. So, but you know, because I, I like to public speak and I like to train, I've talked to people all day, but the truth is if I don't get some alone time, my battery's never recharged and it can't be just sleeping time, mm-hmm. which, and we, you and I have talked about my kids. So now that I've had kids, I haven't gone to the bathroom by myself in I think three years. 
<laughs> so, so that alone time. So now it's, it's got to become a focus for me because I don't, I don't get it naturally anymore. I don't ever get that time where I'm just going to go home and I get to get that alone time. So I have to create it. Otherwise, I really have a tough time. Mm-hmm. And finding, to me, like hopefully you have the same experience, finding like a partner who understands that isn't offended by yes, like you having absolutely. alone time. It's like, this is just who I am and I actually will do better if I have this. Yes. Um, that's huge as well. And, yes. And, and my wife definitely is, is that person. Awesome. If anything, I'm the one that fights it myself because I'm always torn between, I need the alone time, but I don't, I don't like to leave the kids. I want to be there too. So it's, it's an so internal, difficult. it's an internal struggle, which that's, if I'm going to answer my own question, that's the biggest challenge I've gotten from a lot of our is, especially moms, right? There's this mom guilt that comes with leaving mm-hmm. their children, taking time away from their children. And as a coach, it's hard sometimes to, to tell them they don't have to feel that. We can say it, but to get someone to really buy into the fact that they don't have to feel that way and they shouldn't feel that way, that's a hard one too. Yeah. And you know, that's something I struggle with personally because I can't relate to that. You know what I mean? Like I had a client in this whole quarantine thing she was one of my most determined people, high effort, never a minute late, always on time. And when the whole quarantine thing, she just completely dropped off. And it's just like, I am so overwhelmed with two young kids at home. And for me, it's, it's hard because I'm like, well, you know, you can find time. But, you know, I didn't say that, but I don't have kids. So it's like, I don't have to deal with those same sort of responsibilities. Yeah. Um, so even having empathy for that and you know, trying to see what services or strategies can you change of yourself to maybe provide something for that individual that will work better for them. Yeah. And well, I love that you say that and love you had that mindset because that's something that I struggled with in a bad way before I had kids was I thought I understood, which, yeah. is, a, which is a mistake, right? I thought I could say, okay, I can put myself in your shoes and I can envision what you're going through. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I was so far off. And not that I was telling people they were wrong, but I didn't, I didn't have the depth of knowledge that I could possibly have to really answer those questions. Because now my answer has changed. Now it's not, you have to make time. Now it's, here's how you have to do both because you're going to have to fill both those buckets. Otherwise, you're going to struggle either way. Yeah, absolutely. Give me a few years and we'll come back and have a different conversation <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have a few of these in our, in our plans. So we're good. <laughs> we'll get there. So, well, so let's move into, you know, we talked about, you know, moms and, you know, you and I spoke beforehand a little bit about being and a close friend of ours. We talked about this as well, about being a female in the fitness industry. Now you came up on the coaching side as well. Can you speak a little bit about maybe your, if you had challenges as, as a female coming up in the industry, both from the athletic side and the general population side? Yeah. So this is all stuff that maybe when I reflect back on things, I can kind of take it apart a little bit more than when you're in the moment. Mm-hmm. Some things are thrown in your face and you can see them really quickly. Um, other things, you know, you have to be very mindful about like, you know, what institutions are doing or kind of like the setting that you're in your environment and what those mean. And my biggest thing is creating opportunities for other people. So like I live by the phrase like lift as you rise and I'm like very determined okay. to help a group of you know younger female coaches um, make a splash in this industry and that's all coming and reflecting on like past experiences so for example i grew up in the graduate setting like strength conditioning realm it's very football based Mm -hmm. like and very kind of military-esque type coaching and i didn't relate to it all and when i actually finished my master's degree, I probably stayed in to get my PhD because I wanted to go more like the professor route and research route because I I lost interest in the strength conditioning coach kind of setting Mm -hmm. because I didn't connect with that type of like coaching or way to view things of like forced discipline for like no reason. It's like, you're not creating enjoyment with exercise. You're actually probably doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I was probably always like the token female around. So anytime I would go to the weekend course or seminar, most likely I was probably always, always the only female. Yep. But I was always lucky enough to be around just phenomenal human beings. I remember when I was at the collegiate setting, I worked with two other full-time coaches named Justin and Dan, and they were just like the greatest guys in the world. And I'm saying that because I have been in other environments where I interned and things like that, where that was just not the case. And it's just brute masculinity. And a lot of female coaches 
just get extremely uncomfortable in those environments, needless to say. Yeah. Um, so I'm just happy I had no, no experiences like that. But you do have to recognize that those things happen, and that's the majority of situations. Um, and then when I went to the private setting, you know, typically kind of how things go is females kind of are going to gravitate towards other females. So mm-hmm. the majority of my clientele are females. Um, I remember when I was the old private facility that I worked at, a guy walked through the door, a new kind of customer, you would say. And I, you know, went and introduced myself and showing around the facility and telling them what we do and whatnot. He was like, oh, great. So if I was to sign up here, who would I be working with? And I was like, oh, actually, like, we could work together and you'd be working with me and blah, blah, blah. And he was looked around and got like super quiet. And then he looked at me and he said, why would I work with a female when there's other male trainers here? And to me, I never had a moment like that where I was just like, how can someone think like that? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and say it out loud. Yeah. yeah, that's the other thing too. yeah exactly. But, you know, I've, I've always think I've been pretty lucky, but my mentality has also been like not to point out the problems. Yes, it is important to identify them. The reason for that is to provide solutions. So like, what are we all doing to kind of help, you know, females and minorities succeed in any industry or field, especially the fitness industry. And, you know, a lot of people like to talk the talk. And I think that's what social media does its best at. But behind the scenes, are you the person who's volunteering or being a mentor to someone for free or trying to help someone get a job that's younger than you? or less fortunate than you. And those are the type of things that hopefully we can all be a little bit more mindful about. Yeah, well, and thank you for letting me ask the question because I, you know, as as a male in the field, and it's been pretty, it's been a fast switch, by the way, where even as 12 years ago, you know, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, but 12 years ago when I was really on the strength side for the first time, you don't realize that there's no, there's no mix of genders in the field until you start actually, like, till I start, getting my first female coworkers and you're like, I didn't really, yeah. it's just, it's always all male. Like that's all I ever saw. I saw, it's all I saw at conferences and um, the explosion has been awesome to see. I don't think I really understood that there was an issue mm-hmm. until I, until I got into management and I managed at a, a big box facility, a more traditional large box gym. And I managed 35 trainers and I had a phenomenal female staff really great female trainers. And as the person that was always the one that had the first contact and then transitioned, I, I ran into that problem more times than I wish I had to admit where I'd get pushback after I recommended a female trainer to a male client. And not even only a male client, I've gotten with female clients too that insist on working with a male. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's a female one to female, like that one I always appreciate a little bit because there's a gender thing that doesn't happen. There's a gender sharing thing that happens female to female. But in the other instance, I was thrown back from people's reactions. So that's where I really learned that it was a problem. Yeah. A lot of these things don't come from ill intent or like direct ill intent. It's always, it's kind of just like the norm that kind of people kind of go along with a little bit. Yeah. Especially, you know, transmission comes from sport and, you know, it's the same problems we see in sport as well. Yeah. Well, and there's, and you're right. There's not all, it's context related, right? There's not all reasons are bad. I do have a client here who was very honest that said, he was, I'm just not, he was, I'm almost get like insecure around like a female, like, you know, and that was his answer. And that was, so it wasn't a chauvinistic response. It was almost an honesty about his flaws. He was, I just, I feel like I'm like, I'm going to be too nervous to work. Like, I feel like I need, you know, he's overweight and he has a lot of weight to lose. So it was more of a security thing for him. So like, I get it if it's in the right context, but, um, Mm -hmm. and you know, what are we, what are we all doing? And, And then, kind of expressing gratitude towards people who are kind of pushing that realm. You know, not to keep bringing up CrossFit, but I remember <laughs> I went to a field to do a, a session with a young athlete and um, an elite CrossFitter was there. Catch okay. my status daughter. Okay. Yeah. And so like, I'm on the same plate. I watch like those documentaries all day. I appreciate yeah. them as athletes. Incredible. And I was like, you know, that, like, I'm going to, I'm going to say something. So I like walk by and I just like, just quickly on my walk by, just said something in the lines of like, thank you for all you do with making females feel good about like having muscles. And it's just like the people who are representing something of the positive of, Mm -hmm. especially when we're talking about the context of like females in this industry, making people feel good about, you know, having muscles or being 
a personal trainer in this industry. And then the people who are doing that or sending out that message, like supporting them and also acknowledging the positive things that that's doing for you know this entire industry. Yeah, that's uh, Michelle. That's that's awesome. Well, I I know personally, I learned a ton from you from from your context, and uh, you know, I'm proud to say that I have two female. My only two trainers here are female trainers, not because that was the goal, but because they're the ones that were the best out of the bunch. Those are that's all the interviews. Those are my those are my candidates, and we have a great staff. So I I appreciate I appreciate what you've done, and I appreciate you answering answering the question. Of course. So what are you working on now? You know, what you mentioned writing, anything you want to share, anything that I don't want to steal the thunder of anything you're going to be, you know? No, no, no. I love writing. That's like one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. You know, I'll put up articles all the time. I'm pretty active on Instagram. I love writing for it. And then, so what I'm really excited about is October 12th, I'm going to be starting the second round of what I call my group classroom, which is... I created a course online called the strategy course. Like I said, I love that word. Yeah, yeah great word. <laughs> and uh, it was, it's basically all about what I talked about before, of like going through my entire like journey and experiencing and seeing how to teach people how to learn better, what skills they need to decipher all this information, creates a principle-based approach that they can apply to any context, which streamlines like, you know, they're creating their training sessions and programming and then also communicating their message much, much clearer to the people that they work with. Mm -hmm. So that's what that course is really, really focused on. And then I turned it into, you know, an experience of you're going to become friends with the people who are like-minded and like the peers within your group. And then you'll have direct access to, you know, a mentor that's going to give you be very accessible and, hopefully be friends after the group classroom. And so that's a 12 week experience and that starts October 12th. So that's pretty much what I'm focused on right now. Very cool. Is that full, that class? No, I haven't even announced it yet. So I know I'll probably tell people that it's open next week. So starting October 5th, you'll be able to sign up and that has limited spots. So you probably have a week to sign up. So hopefully, hopefully it does fill very quickly. All right. Well, we uh, we are going to be on, I believe, on the seventh is when this episode will go live. Perfect. So uh, that means that two days ago, this launch. So for my, <laughs> so I'll I'll make sure to share it on my uh, on my pages and for my trainer friends that are listening, uh, look look into that for sure. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Where else can people find you? Uh, like I said, I'm very active on Instagram. I think my name is dr. Michelle Bolin. And uh, yeah, send me a DM if you want to chat more about some things and uh, I'll always get back to you. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Michelle, this has been great. I really appreciate you you coming on and taking the time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll have to do it again. Oh, definitely. All right. Well, uh, stay put to listeners. Thank you for being on and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.